Welcome to the We Are VIP podcast. Each week, your host, Casey Haston, Director of Recruiting at VIP, will bring you valuable insights from thought leaders, introduce you to incredible companies, and bring you tips for landing your dream job from our team of executive recruiters at VIP. And now, Casey Haston. Welcome to the We Are VIP podcast, a podcast devoted to adding value to your career or candidate search, brought to you by VIP. I'm your host, Casey Haston. I'm an executive recruiter, director of recruiting, and all-around hiring guru. And I'm so very glad you're here with us today. Today on the show, I'd like to welcome Mohammed Anwar, founder of Softway, a business to employee solutions company. Mohammed is also the founder and CEO of Culture Plus and the best-selling co-author of Love as a Business Strategy. Love it. Five years ago, Mohammed's business almost failed, and he realized it was because he was not incorporating love in his business. Culture Plus improves the behaviors of employees through technology and facilitated training experiences. Organizations become more inclusive, resilient, and successful. His goal is to help companies achieve high performance and high reliability cultures that win in the marketplace. Thanks for joining us today, Mohammed. Thank you, Casey. Thank you for having me. I am so excited to be here with you. We've got lots of stuff going on between us outside of the podcast. We're not going to have time to get into all of it, but I'm so excited about our future. Same here. I'm looking forward to it. <laughs> it's going to be fun. Okay, so the first question that I like to ask my guest is how did we get connected? So we got connected um, from a person I believe I networked. His name was Frank Agin. And he introduced you to me after I shared my story with him. We were getting to get to know each other, to get on a podcast together. And he was like, you have to meet Casey. She's down in Texas and you guys have to meet up. And that's how I got introduced. And I think within a week, I met you up in Dallas. Yes. And you brought me a signed copy of your book. Yes. <laughs> it was <laughs> so you. much fun. And I got to meet another one of the co-authors, Chris. Um, what's his last name? Petrie. Petrie, Chris Petrie. I, and I have now spoken with all four of the authors. I'm so excited to say. Yes. So. Awesome. But we're all very different. I'm sure you noticed. <laughs> yes. Yes. And um, Frank even introduced me to um, someone that is coming on the podcast. So you're Frank. Um, but yes. one thing I want to point out is how often Frank Agin gets mentioned on this mm -hmm. podcast. He is like the super connector. He's the champion, according to his book. <laughs> <laughs> I haven't yes. read his book yet. Don't tell him. <laughs> okay, I will not. I'll let you figure it out. <laughs> so I want to dive right in because we've got a lot of stuff to cover. So, you know, based on your experience with your company nearly failing, you knew that you needed to dramatically change your culture so that to save it. I mean, I'm, I'm mm -hmm. reading your book right now and what you went through was, uh, it, I guess it was the fridge that needed to be cleaned out. <laughs> <laughs> I want to talk about that in just a second. Okay. But it, so talk about that moment where you realized you had a problem, but then mm -hmm. also talk about what was the first action you took in establishing the, the new positive culture in your company? Sure. So uh, for a while, our company was on a downward trajectory, you know, 10 years into the business, uh, we were extremely successful. I believe that I had hit the pinnacle of success. You know, I was living the life 
uh, of an entrepreneur living the American dream. Uh, but our business started to all of a sudden go down. We were hemorrhaging cash. We were losing employees left and right. And uh, there was a toxic culture that existed in the company that was perpetuated by my selfish behaviors and my attitude. And at the moment in time, I did not recognize that. I blamed the economy, the customers, the oil prices, uh, our employees even. Um, but I never for once realized that this was all stemming from my behaviors. And the moment I really recognized that was after our darkest day when we had to do layoffs and lay off almost one third of the company, which we did, by the way, in in a very inhumane manner. Um, I literally had no path forward. I didn't know how to approach the business anymore. I had lost all my confidence and uh, I really didn't even know if our business would be open one month out. And I had this amazing opportunity that landed on my plate to go see the University of Houston football team uh, play a formidable opponent of uh, Memphis Tigers. They were both ranked. It was a 10th game of University of Houston. And uh, University of Houston is my alma mater. So really excited to go in, um, especially because I was looking for something positive when everything felt like it was going south. And so in the game, uh, the football team was losing by 20 points going into the fourth quarter, wow. <laughs> which uh, was hard to sit and watch through that game. And I thought to just leave the stadium. I didn't want to stay any longer uh, because I didn't want to be even more disappointed. But something inside me told me, no, stay back. Stay there to watch the whole game. And I'm glad I did because they had one of the best comebacks in football in their history. And they won by a point with less than 30 seconds left. And at that moment in time, I was rejuvenated. I was super excited. I started to see soft way through the eyes of the Houston Cougar football team. And I was determined to go back and not give up and fight to keep software for, uh, you know, from failing. And on Monday, when I went back to work, I logged on to Facebook Live to see the press conference of then Tom, uh, Coach Tom Herman, who was a rookie head coach for us, and he was taking us on the Cinderella season. Uh, and we were 10 and 0, and I was so inspired to hear him speak and talk about how he had gotten us to this stage uh, in our football program. And in that, one of the reporters asked Coach Tom Herman what had led to the success and the resilience of the football team that night. And he, his answer changed my perspective in my life from that moment in time. And he said, it's the culture of love that got us to win that night. It's the love and support that the football players had for one another uh, that helped us win. They went out on the field, not for themselves, but the, for the brothers next to them. And when you have that genuine love and care for one another, not the love you dog kind of love, but the love where you hold the other person's heart in your hand, mm -hmm. that's the kind of love that's needed to build championship teams. You can have an all-star, you can have all-star players on your team, but you cannot become a championship team without the love and support for one another. And so when he said that, my mind exploded and I began to ask myself uh, and in a moment of introspection, I asked myself, do I love my team the way that Tom Herman is describing this culture? And the answer was a resounding no, I don't. 
And that's the moment I recognized that if I needed to save our company and get our company on the path of success, I needed to first figure out how I, as the leader, could change my behaviors to love my team, to find a way to love my team members and create an environment worthy of those that you love. And so that was my realization. That was where I made a commitment. And the first thing I started to do, it was, it was kind of tricky to figure out, okay, so where do I go from here? I don't want to go and just talk about this revelation I had. I got to act on it before I talk about it. Um, so the first act I did was I, I declared to my team that I love them in a company stand up with India and the US team members, which at the time were about 160 employees. And people were like, what the hell is wrong with Mo? What is he talking about? What's going on? And they gave me these strange looks, uh, but then I had to put it into action. Um, so some of the small things, it started with the micro commitments. Um, so the small things I started to do was I would bring lunch every day. My wife would pack delicious food every day for lunch. And I decided I'd just go share my food. I'd offer it up and say, hey, would anybody like to have a little bit of this, you know, a chicken curry or biryani or whatever that day my wife had packed. And uh, I began to just go around the bullpen area and offer up my food. And as a result, people began to sit with me and eat food with me and share the meal. And I got to know them. And, you know, I began to understand our teammates more. And I basically made it made myself approachable to the team. Just that small act of sharing food. Um, yeah, this, this is like, that was like the smallest thing that I could start with. And uh, beyond that, there was a lot of other things I had to do. A lot of it had to do with how I behaved, how I acted, how I showed up to meetings, how I would address problems, how I tackled bad news. Um, to the decisions I made on certain policies and procedures, but with the right mindset. Um, so all of those kind of began the journey of transforming our culture to that of a culture of love. Well, and I love that you said you had to start with like the micro steps. And I think I remember reading in the book, there was an episode and I can't remember which one of your co-authors it was where you had called a conference meeting and was it Frank? Yes, it was Frank. I, I, I thought it was Frank. And Frank wasn't there. And you were yes. just lit. And this is after you've decided to embrace love as a strategy, right? And so tell us a little bit about what happened there and how that changed. Sure. So um, I was known to set, put up meetings ad hoc on the calendar just because I'm the CEO. I get to do it. <laughs> so I had called for a. Uh, a leadership meeting um, for the next day, like today, book for tomorrow. And um, in that meeting, people started to roll in late. It was 10 minutes in and not everybody had rolled in. And uh, one person in particular was one of my co-authors. His name is Frank Dana. And he had not come into the meeting. So I waited and I started to pass all kinds of sarcastic comments and comments like people don't show up to these meetings, people don't check their calendars. I don't know why I have to go chase people down. I'm tired of this, you know, 
all of that. And then ultimately, I just got up, left the conference room to go find him. <laughs> and I found him sitting in his office and I barged into his office and I said, Frank, what the hell are you doing in here? You're supposed to be in my meeting. Let's get up and walk with me to the meeting room right now. And he was completely dumbstruck. He was not expecting me to walk into his room yelling at him. And then um, we came into the meeting. He came, followed me, picked up his laptop, came into the meeting. And, you know, somehow we got through the leadership meeting. And uh, that afternoon, I saw an invite from Frank for a one-on-one -on -one with me. <laughs> and uh, he had scheduled the one-on-one -on -one for the next day. And he had scheduled it in the corner most uh, conference room, which usually people don't have visibility to. So I was like, oh crap, <laughs> I've done it again. I, because of my behaviors, I'm afraid Frank's gonna resign or quit. And I was, I was, you know, very, uh, you know, frightened going into the meeting that Frank was gonna resign. The next day I arrived, I walked into the room and uh, he was already there on time <laughs> and sitting with a notebook and he had some notes written in it. I couldn't read it at the time, but I saw that he had notes and I sat at the table and his hands were trembling. He was shaking and he said, Muhammad, I want to share something with you. And he looked at his notebook and nervously he shared with me how he did not appreciate how I treated him. He did not appreciate how I spoke to him and um, that he would, he would like it if I did not do that ever again. And I tried to justify my actions, to be honest, shamelessly. I was like, well, you know how people come late and, you know, I just, you know, no, I'm making all the excuses. Uh, ultimately, I kind of like as, you know, embarrassment sweeped in, I recognize I just need to apologize. So I said, sorry. And then he said, I want to share one more thing with you. And he opened up his laptop, pulled it up in front of me with his calendar. And he said, Muhammad, I was never invited to this meeting. Oh, even knowing what you were about to say, I, that still gives me chills. Yeah. And I was like, holy crap. I... I not only forgot to invite him to the calendar, I mean, to the meeting, but I went out, yelled at him, dragged him over to the conference room, tarnished his reputation, told a whole bunch of things behind him, and, you know, directly spoke to him with that tone. And yet he's here, you know, sitting across the table and wanting to share this with me in the most professional way but also human way if i were him i'd be like f this i'm out of here like <laughs> why, why am i even here but he 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 did it in a very graceful way he did it in a way that did not he didn't want to embarrass me in front of others like how i did to him but at the same time he forgave me and he gave me a chance and he basically wanted to support me because he knew I had committed to go on this journey and he knew that I had asked for his support in this journey and this was his way to support me was to forgive me and help give me the feedback I deserve to hear but also not hold it against me uh, for the rest of my relationship with him and here we are like we wrote a book together <laughs> so 
that's the story. And I wanted you to tell that story mainly because it, it's very impactful. It's, and, and it shows that when you do want to embrace this, you know, culture of love, and I'm not talking like sappy love, I'm talking like genuine love of the human race, right? Mm -hmm. That you're gonna have to take those steps back and be humble and be able to say, I'm sorry. Yes, I totally agree. And, and one of the things that I really liked about what he did was he didn't throw that in your face to begin with about the calendar invite. He just lets you know that's not okay, that's not appropriate. And then after he got your reaction, that's when he told you. Yes. So, yes, absolutely. Yeah. So I am very grateful for him. We still talk about that story. Um, and whenever we bring it up, at least today we laugh about it <laughs> and joke about it. And, you know, we can discuss it openly as a learning for others. But I'm... I'm glad we're able to share that story collectively and we are able to show how we can overcome such type of incidences when you do genuinely care for each other. Well, and I think, and, and it definitely shows, because like I said, I've talked to all of you and I can feel that, because you all tell me the same thing. But I think what you're doing for the rest of the world, I think it just permeates out. You know, you guys are doing some events for me, pro bono for a group that um, are successful North Dallas Young Executives. And I just can't tell you how much I appreciate that, but you know that's gonna come back to you somehow because you're gonna teach these kids how to implement this in the world. Yes, absolutely. We are very committed to share our story and our message of how you can uh, have love as a business strategy and achieve business outcomes while keeping people at the center of it all and taking care of the humans that are your biggest asset of any business. And, and we believe that sharing that message is so important because I think in today's society and world, people may have lost hope and, um, you know, come to the conclusion that this is just how the work is. This is just how the corporate environments are, but we want to bring hope to them that, no, there is an alternate reality. Mm -hmm. You can go to work where you wake up every Monday morning excited to go to work, where you don't have some anxiety or Sunday anxiety, where you can show up to work and feel valued, respected, included, and you can bring your full self, and you don't have to be this alternate version of yourself to show up to work. And you can be excited to do work that's purposeful and meaningful. And we want people to have belief and faith in it because if you want to see that kind of a future in the workplace where, we're, where humanity can be brought back to the workplace, it begins with each and every one of us. So the more and more we can share this message, share our stories, uh, let people learn from our mistakes, it gives, I think, a better chance for the corporate world to transform and maybe even bring about a revolution to how work needs to be approached and how people need to operate at the corporate workplace. So we're very committed to our vision and we're hoping we can spread that message more and more. Well, I am going to do everything I can to help you spread that message because I love what you're doing. I myself am very fortunate with the company that I work with because I believe they are already have a you know, culture awesome. of love and I feel that every single day. I don't ever dread going to work. You know, I mean, in fact, I get excited. I work a hybrid. And so by the time Tuesday rolls around, I haven't seen my team for four days. I'm like, 
raring to go. I'm, I'm ready to be with my people, you know? And, and we just, awesome. and we just all rise together, you know, and I love that. So I feel sorry for people that don't have that. I know a lot of people don't. So I'm so appreciative that you're out there, you know, trying to make that difference in the world. And you actually made it in a really big way because Exxon actually approached you to help with their culture transformation before you were even in the culture business. So, I mean, cause you're a technology company first, right? So tell me how yes. that happened. So, um, we originally were founded to be a technology firm when I was 20 years old, uh, pursuing my computer science degree almost 19 years ago now. And so, um, you know, our largest customer uh, based here in Houston, obviously, was someone we provided our technology services to. And as a result of our interactions, they got to know us and they were able to see us go through our transformation with our business. And when we were going through our transformation with our business, they saw a change in how our team showed up, uh, an improvement in the quality of work we were producing and uh, all of the outcomes. And, you know, we were hitting our goals and delivering great work. And uh, our team was just excited to be around and uh, our customers appreciated being around us and with us. And uh, as a result, they asked us, hey, would you be willing to help us with our culture initiatives and our leadership uh, training and, you know, transformation? And we were like, hey, that's not what we do. That's <laughs> not the business we're in. We're a technology company. And uh, they were like, no, we know that, but we trust you enough to try this out uh, because we've tried other fortune uh, you know, consulting firms and the big fir uh, big consulting firms to help us. And we haven't been able to have a success uh, that we desire to see. We'd love for you guys to have a jab at it. So upon their insistence, we did a pilot. It was extremely successful. And they gave us this incredible opportunity to say, okay, now look, this is awesome. Now go travel the world, help us with uh, leadership uh, behavior uh, transformation training and help us with the culture of a, a whole business unit. Um, and that's when uh, by being able to do that and being able to afford it, that opportunity to try something we've never done before, we were empowered by them. As a result, we found a new purpose and a new calling, which was, hey, uh, we need to work on bringing back humanity to the workplace we this is this is what we were meant for so from that moment on anything and everything we do whether we build technology uh, products or you know digital communication campaigns um, or culture as a service everything is geared towards how can you bring back humanity to the workplace by everything that we do and so that's been our guiding light and our vision and as a result we feel like our organization has found something that we know is very purposeful and meaningful. So all of us are aligned behind that vision and we work day in and day out to make sure we're trying to reach that vision. I think that is so beautiful. And I think that, I mean, how good does it feel when you find your real passion? I mean, it's been phenomenal. Um, you know, I won't lie, when I first started the business, my vision was to become a millionaire and <laughs> that was it. I was like, how can I, personally 
be a millionaire as fast as possible. That's why I started the business. That's what I wanted to achieve. And I believe I, I was able to achieve that by the time I turned 30, but I lost it all as well very quickly. So it was very short lived and I don't think it was uh, the right <laughs> vision and purpose for me to go after. <laughs> Well, let's talk about your Seneca program for just a second, because it focuses on five key areas, leadership and development, higher performing teams, individual self-awareness, inclusion mm -hmm. and belonging, huge, and change strategy. Mm -hmm. Which area must be the first to change when recreating a positive work culture? The first one is self-awareness mm -hmm. and bringing about self-awareness of leadership in particular. Uh, because leaders set the tone inside of any organization, their behaviors and how they act and how they bring themselves to work and how they treat each other and treat their team has a huge impact on the culture of the organization and resulting in all these other outcomes that you just listed. And to start starting there is the first step is to bring about self-awareness and how we define self-awareness in this context is how I see myself when I'm talking to others or uh, interacting with others uh, versus how others are exp actually experiencing me. That difference is mm -hmm. the self-awareness gap. And so our goal is to help leaders reduce that gap. So in their mind, they might be thinking, I'm being so cool. I am doing this the right way. I'm such an amazing leader. But really, on the other hand, people are probably experiencing it in a different way than what they're thinking they're being experienced as. So how do you reduce that gap? And so we help leaders go through introspection, learning to look within and understanding the why behind your behaviors, and then mapping it against feedback that your people and your teammates around you are able to um, communicate with. And when you put those two together, you're able to see, oh my gosh, I did not realize that this is how I'm coming across or this is how I'm behaving or this is how people are feeling or uh, perceiving me when I say stuff or communicate. And so that's the first step. Once we get people to build self-awareness, the next step is we get them to commit. Now that you have a realization of the self-awareness gap you might have, you need to commit and commit to change. And from there, we give them all the tools and necessary resources to go on that journey of transformation and how to transform those behaviors, how to build their self-awareness further and how to create an environment where they're able to behave in ways that ultimately ladders up to the culture of love or culture that they're aspiring to build. So that's the process from there culture eats strategy for breakfast. So <laughs> whatever strategic, strategic initiative or strategic plans you're building, if you build with those right mindsets, behaviors, and attitudes, you're able to then inculcate that into your strategy. So for example, if you have a behavior which is encompassing that of trust, then your processes will include trust. But if you don't have trust or you don't like to trust your teammates or empower them, you will see that leaders may institute processes that verify trust, which creates inefficiencies rather than creating efficiencies. So if you don't start with the behaviors 
in the right culture, it impacts your strategic planning, your strategic approaches. So behaviors are the bottom line and particularly leadership behaviors. Perfect, perfect. You know, and as you were saying that, I was thinking about, you know, any sales team is going, going to have rules of engagement, right? This is how you react to other people on your team. And, you know, like if I've called this client, you can't call them for this long, you know, stuff like that. And what I'm finding in our office, because we do have such a great culture, it's very unique in the sales environment. And I know I've been in a couple, um, is that we don't really need those rules of engagement because mm. we care so much. And I'll just give you a perfect example. Like when we engage with a candidate, we have 90 days that if we don't talk to them, then they're free game. Any other recruiter mm -hmm. can call them. But I can tell you, probably every single one of my fellow recruiters has at some point sent me an email and said, hey, I just ran across your candidate that I hadn't talked to in a year. You might want to give them a call for this role. Mm. Wow. Yeah. And so, and in that way, we really show that we do care about each other and that we want to take care of each other. So, and I think that's very unique. And I think it just proves my point. VIP yes. has no. a culture of love. <laughs> awesome. No, definitely. I think, I think sales organizations are the most cutthroat and toxic mm -hmm. if, if not, if you don't have the culture that you're talking about, because everything is driven by personal mm -hmm. remuneration and it's a very individualized environment for yeah commissions and rewards and everything where it becomes you know a very competitive cutthroat environment and there's there's lack of that team environment more of an individualistic environment exactly. so you're i totally agree with you so if you're able to see that that means you definitely are on uh, in in the path of culture of love so that's awesome <laughs> and i want to go back to one other thing that you said about the self-awareness and the gap Right. So a couple of things, mm -hmm. actually, um, just thinking of me personally, you know, my number one core value is authenticity. Right. Mm -hmm. And so if I'm showing up authentically as me and you're perceiving me a different way than that, I kind of feel like that's on you. What are your thoughts on that? So you're correct in the in the in the aspect that the receiving person also is it's their perception mm -hmm. of how they're experiencing you no doubt but as a leader you also have to be influential and influential in the most genuine way and if you don't know how other people are perceiving you which is their reality at the end of the day exactly. then you aren't going to be able to lead them so you still have to understand how your team members are perceiving you and how your coworkers are perceiving you or experiencing you from their lens. And it's less about how I would have perceived myself or how I would want to be treated. It's more about how they want to be treated, how they want to hear your communication. Because your job as a leader is to put the needs of others before yourself. And so you need to understand more how others need to hear that information how are they experiencing you and if you still think there is a perception issue from the other side then help bring about that self-awareness to them by being that mentor by being that leader but i wouldn't put the burden entirely on them i would want to support them to kind of build that alignment it was like 
hey, let me understand why are you experiencing this? This is this is my intent. But if that's not the impact I'm having, can you help me how I can express myself better or how I can um, communicate with you that is going to help you? And um, so we have to be those leaders that are able to create an environment where we can treat others the way they want to be treated, not always the way that I would like to have been treated. So it's the platinum rule versus the golden rule, essentially. Okay. <laughs> yes. Okay. And and one other little thing I wanted to point out about that awareness is that this actually works for our job seekers too. Maybe, mm -hmm. I mean, just having that knowledge and knowing how to be self-aware can go to great links when you're in an interview process. Absolutely. Yeah. I think I, I emphasize a lot on leadership for self-awareness, but they are not the only ones who are required to build self-awareness. Every individual in the organization can benefit from self-awareness because then it just solves the problems that much faster, right? If everybody's self-aware of their perceptions, their behaviors, their interactions, and imagine like we'd have more honesty and uh, less uh, true harmony or artificial harmony. So I agree, candidates, anybody in the, in the business world, in the corporate world, or even their personal life could benefit from building more self-awareness of how they're experienced by others. So one last question before we get to our VIP questions. Um, I can't believe yes. the time has gone so quickly, but I want to know, because there's a lot of toxic cultures out there. So me, candidate, mm -hmm. what are mm -hmm. some red flags that I need to watch for? Or what are some flags that are going to tell me this is a culture of love? Um, I, I can give you some red flags. Maybe I think if there, uh, I think the one big red flag is if somebody tries to position like, we're like a family, we're like this big family and, uh, don't know how to back it up. I'd be very scared of those cultures. Uh, I'd be scared of those type of environments. Um, because I think it's been, it's been proven time and again that, if you claim to be family, but then you're quick to lay off people or fire people, which you wouldn't do with your own family, which is to disown them, then those environments aren't really practicing what they're intending to mean by their family. So that would be one. That could be a red flag. I mean, they really haven't understood it. They could be using it to take advantage of the team members and so forth. And there could be genuine family environments as well. I don't want to discount that. but. If it's overly used and it's used to describe their culture, I would be scared. I, I would ask, what do you mean by that? Can you give me okay. examples and see what, how to back it up? So that could be one thing. Um, and then also I would say, uh, if someone says, well, we have a culture, it's not for everyone, you know, uh, it's, it's only meant for some, then I'd be like, okay, that's a red flag too. I mean, you don't create a culture that's meant for only some people culture is meant to include all elements of diversity and all thinking and thought process and skill sets. Like if it's always supposed to be a culture ad. So, um, yeah, that would also be a potential red flag for me in terms of cultural answers. I think that's so a good things one. like that, those are a few that I could give right away that could be things that warrant a little bit more digging. 
Well, beautiful. I have loved this conversation. I would could probably talk to you about this for another two hours. I know you don't have that much time, so but I'm sure we'll be talking more about it off sure. camera coming up. But before I let you go, I do want to ask you our VIP questions. Are you ready? Go for it. Yes. Okay. So if you were chosen to be one of the first colonists on Mars, what three things or people would you take with you? And if you say you're three co-authors. Oh my gosh, that was what I was going to say. <laughs> How did you know? <laughs> I just had this moment of inspiration. I was like, I know he's going to say those guys. Was that yes. really what you were going to say? I was. I'm probably good. I, I was definitely going to say my three co-authors because I think we're onto something really cool to make this world a better place. And that's our vision. So why not take them to a new world that we start off the right way in how we treat each other and build a humanistic environment on Mars. So that's awesome. I don't know. I choose my co-authors. <laughs> <laughs> I'll be sure to tell them when I see them if you don't get to them first. Um, yes. Okay. So what is one thing you do each morning to set your day up for success? I drink celery juice. Gross. Sorry. <laughs> <laughs> it's freshly made celery juice. So one whole stock of celery is uh, gone through a fruit, uh, you know, a juicer. And I have that and it wakes you up instantaneously and helps you with a lot of other health benefits. Um, so that's what I do, surprisingly. <laughs> okay. Well... Um, uh, good for you. I don't think Thank I could you. do that. So, but maybe others out there would, but I don't even like celery. So there's that. Yeah. So, okay. How did you trip across that? I think it was because of my wife. She, it, she's a big health freak and she lo loves healthy food and stuff. And she started to introduce me to it. And now I'm like addicted to it. <laughs> Wasn't she like an Olympian or something? She is. She is an Olympic champion and has uh, five Olympic medals. Wow. In yes. what? In diving. And oh, uh, yeah, in springboard diving. Wow. I bet you're yes. very nice to her. Uh, yeah, I have to be. <laughs> I know that's what I'm saying. <laughs> yes. Okay. Awesome. Awesome. Well, I guess that would make sense why you would do that because she's probably pretty healthy. Um, okay. So my final question. If your life's work was being summarized in a news article, what would the headline be? I won't steal your thunder this time. Love as a business strategy. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Absolutely it is. Oh my goodness. I am so glad Frank introduced us and that we are going to get to collaborate and do so many fun things together. How do people find you? Um, LinkedIn is the best way to connect with me. Uh, it's uh, just Google. I mean, on LinkedIn, search for Muhammad Anwar and Softway or Muhammad Anwar and Love as a Business Strategy, and I'm sure you'll find me. Otherwise, my handle is Anwar Softway, A-N-W-A-R-S-O-F-T-W-A-Y on LinkedIn. Awesome. Awesome. Well, I have thoroughly enjoyed this conversation, and I just have one last thing to say to you. Yes. You are a VIP. Oh, you <laughs> and that's a wrap for today join us next week here on the we are vip podcast we'd love to know how we can help you be a vip to find out more log on to we are vip.com